let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. My husband loves him some ritual. His little tum-tum can get off. His little microbiome, it says, help me. Enter Ritual. They created a three-in-one supplement, including clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gash, and diarrhea. I really like Ritual because they prioritize sustainably sourced and traceable ingredients. I love to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning along with my hot tea or coffee because I feel like it helps me start the day off right. I also love that Ritual has industry-leading sustainability standards. Ritual uses scientific tools to select lower carbon packaging, prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 20% off. Honey, I love a luxurious moment, but I also love luxury that like doesn't cost quite so much. Then I discovered Quince and it was a total game changer. They have so many different items to choose from. They have washable silk tops and timeless 14-karat gold jewelry. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Thanks, Quince. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Indulge in affordable luxury, honey. Go to quince.com slash curious for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash curious to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash curious. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Didis Katagi, director of the California Complete Count Office for the State of California and expert in multi-ethnic outreach and civil engagement. Today, we are discussing the importance of the census, what you need to know, and dispelling myths around the population count. Oh! Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness, and I'm so excited to talk about a very important topic that I think 
really, we hear people talking about it, but we don't know how important it is and how it is so ingrained in the constitutional fabric of our country and and really the importance of it. And that is our good friend, the census. And to talk about the census, honey, we are welcoming Didis Katagi, director of California's Complete Count. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm so glad to have you here. Um, the cobalt blue of your dress is so beautiful. Thank you. BT dubs. Just if anyone's, my grandma always used to like to um, have been to my apartment so that she could, if we were chatting on the phone, she could like imagine where I was sitting in the apartment. So I'm just painting a picture for you guys. There's a very gorgeous blue dress happening in this room and I am in a black lace Prada dress. So gorgeous. Ew, I didn't mean to name drop Prada. I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean to. It just (laughs) happened. Anyway. Okay. Census. What is she? Well, it is something that happens only every 10 years. So a lot of people just don't even know about it, right? And it's something that the U.S. uh, government does. It's in the Constitution, as you said. And it's to count every single person that lives in the country so that we can get a count and the data. And we used for two really key things, Jonathan. It's really about power and about money. So the census is every 10 years. Yes, The last time we did one was in 2010, Mm -hmm. and the next one that we're doing is coming up in 2020. That's correct. And you're saying that we we do it because it determines two important things, which is power and money. Yes. But more directly, it also... The, however many people end up reporting to be present in the county, it directly correlates to what? The Electoral College. Yes. And the it, how we divide up, how we reapportion our 435 congressional seats. What does reapportion mean? Reapportion means every 10 years when we get this data, that we divide up by the population how many Congress people that we have in each state. So there's a, a finite pie of 435, and California has 53 right now, which is the most of any state. So based on how many people are in each state, and there, I, I didn't know this, so there's 435 is the finite pie for the Congress, or for, mm-hmm. the, for the House of for Representatives. The House, sorry. Sorry. No, 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 you're, yes. you're so right. Because people use Congress and House of Representatives interchangeably. Yes. But I think I always like to do Congress as Congress and Senate as Senate, because otherwise I feel like people get confused, but whatever. That's just like how I talk about it. Yes. But I didn't realize that there was 435 and that was a finite pie. So that's how we determine the House of Representatives. What does the census have to do with state uh, Congress and Senate. Does that does it does that apply to state houses as well? It does. So with that's called reapportionment when we look at the U.S. overall, and then each state redistricts, right? So they redraw the lines. So the federals we are talking about reapportions, and then that is for the four thirty five specifically, and then there's redistricting that also happens from the Senate. Yes, and it decides. Well, the state houses decide how the lines are drawn for all kinds of things, school districts, but also for the state assembly in the state uh, Senate. But then those seats that we get, we have 53 right now, they will draw the lines of where a person's congressional district is. So it's that's where gerrymandering comes. So when you let the state houses do that, there gets to be sometimes some... So the you know. state... So, okay, so after the census, the mm-hmm. federal government will say, all right, California, you have... I'm just keeping math simple because I'm not a good mathematician. You have 10 billion people, California. <laughs> so that means uh, this year you're going to get 
56 seats instead of 53. So then at that point, the state house of California gets to come in and they will now decide how the 53 go into 56 and they get well, to draw that themselves. They actually, they used to do that uh, in 2010. They switched to a citizen redistricting commission, which is really cool. I'm not sure how many states have that, uh, but in other states, they let the electeds do it. But which I want to talk like, about that actually uh-huh. really, 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 really okay. quick. And then I want to come back to how California does it because okay. that's what we're seeing these these gerrymandering cases in the Supreme Court coming out of Virginia and I think South Carolina and I think there was, or West Virginia, whatever. But there was some redistricting cases and basically in those we found that the state houses had really used the census to draw very like crooked, jagged, all over the place lines to racially and uh, economically like coerce the election to come one way or the other. Is that correct, kind of? Well, so they they call them communities of interest. They know they're no longer called them, but we know what they are. They're communities, both racial and economically. Um, and they do draw them, so to guarantee seats for one party or the other. And right? it's been happening, I think it's happened on both sides. I think there was a case of, like, Democrats doing it in Maryland, and there's been more cases of, of Republicans doing it, obvi, but it has happened on both sides. So mm-hmm. to combat that problem here in California in 2010, we and I, when I say we, I mean you. Yes. Yes. Proposition Eleven was passed by the by by the residents of, of California to have a, a independent citizens redistricting commission. And so right now they're actually recruiting for people to be on it, so you could apply to be on it. Um, and then they go through this whole public process where they go to the communities. Communities get to weigh in, and this will be in twenty um, twenty one. They start that process. That's after the census data uh, in March of twenty twenty one is delivered to all of the states to say, this is what your population looks like. And then go to it, go do your mapping or the, you know, if it's done by the, their electeds, they do it. But here in California, it's done by a a, a citizens commission. They redraw the lines. So the state houses and state senates are really very important for two reasons as it relates to the Senate, because not only do they decide the districts that are going to be voted on to represent the federal Congress, Mm -hmm. they also decide the shape and area of the districts that vote on their own state districts. Yes. So it seems like that is a huge issue to be having the people that are governing and legislating also being the ones that decide who and where the lines are that get voted on. Yes. That seems like a huge fundamental conflict of interest. Yes, it's like having the fox in the hen house kind of thing. Yeah, right? so it's like, really yeah. important to like, this is like why, you know, we always talk about like state legislature needs to be thought of as a more sexy issue and especially like on who you're voting in for those places because like John Oliver has talked about this, um, Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi, who are obviously huge fans of and they like when on their show on Throwing Shade they had talked about these like really terrible state legislatures that are elected like all over the country and it's really something that we all need to do a better job of becoming aware of like who is being elected to these seats because they are so important it really affects people's lives right and as we're seeing all these like heartbeat bills popping up all over the country as well like that happens from rogue state houses. I mean, I'm, I'm going on like a tangent there, but so that's that. <laughs> okay. So that's what the census is important for. It's for power. For power. That's yes. where the power is, and then the yes. money happens. Right. So, what is unique about the 2020 census coming up? So, as you know, this is my third census in this role. I've worked for four governors. Tell us about. Yes. Yeah, I want to know more about your gorgeous role and what you do in California. Right. So, the U.S. Census is a federal operation. Right. It's the largest uh, outside of um, going to war. So, the U.S. Census Bureau and the feds they're doing what they can, they're really mobilizing. But what we're doing here in California is we don't actually enumerate folks, but we know that Californians know California's best and that we need to reach out to Californians because people are afraid they may distrust uh, because the U.S. Census Bureau is trying to do this nationally. Sometimes 
they don't do a great job, you know, locally. Yes. So the governor and the legislature have put an unprecedented amount of investment of California dollars, $187 million. That just blows my mind. No other state is even investing. Many other states just aren't investing at all. They're just expecting the federal government to do it. But, you know, California, we've said How here, much should we invest? $187 million. Wow. So California, the governor and the legislature, have we pretty much said we're not going to leave the fate of our state in the hands of this administration. Right. And that's why we're doing the outreach to do that. And we've shown, I did this in 2000, that with our investments to our local communities, right, it's really not all about advertising. It's really about building that grassroots network of getting folks to talk to each other and to have trusted messengers that are maybe allaying the fears of like, oh, it's the government going to take my data? Is it confidential? Really having the right people connect on the ground um, to build that infrastructure to say, yes, we're trusted messengers. We're going to stand up, be counted for our community. Well, what is on a census form when you fill it out? So there's 10 questions. So they ask about, usually it's a head of household that fills it out. Then they they ask for your age. uh, You self-identify the race. Um, Then you would fill out those items. There's no citizenship question this time. And then for your the second person, say in your household, like I have my daughter, you would say for that same thing, the name and the uh, address. And then you'd say what your relationship is to the first person filling it out. So it's really to get a count uh, and understanding, uh, so really a portrait of America. And so there's no citizenship question on it. Mm-hmm. And so what are the people when you reach out to them uh, – at California's complete count, like what are the typical most commonly heard fears and concerns over filling out and completing a census form? Many residents of California, um, we have a lot of foreign-born residents. Um, they are, even folks that have been here for a long time, they're a little bit afraid about giving any type of information about themselves to the government. We're such a diverse state that many folks that have migrated over, you know, say some Cambodia or from, from areas that maybe the government wasn't so nice to them, they still have a lot of that, of those fears. And so anytime the government is asking for information, people are afraid to give it. And then there's other people who are just like, I don't want to give anybody my, you know, I want to keep everything private. Not that anything's private these days, but there's a lot of fears that way. What happens why is it important for those communities that that are not counted or overlooked or have distrust? Like, what happens when a count is off? So if your community isn't counted, you lose actual dollars. There's over $600 billion um, that come back. So if you think about this, Jonathan, you think on April 15th, what does everyone do? They pay their taxes, right? There's this, like, electronic sucking sound from your bank account <laughs> to the U.S. Federal Treasury. Every single year on April 15th. But on April 1st, on years that end with zero, so only once every 10 years, do we get, our communities get to say, bring that money back to my community, fund my schools, fund my roads, my community centers, my healthcare centers. All those dollars come back through federal programs and they're distributed based upon our count, based upon our population in our communities. And that's one way that the census increases the longstanding systemic racism of this country and increases the distrust of communities of color because there is this there is a hesitancy to share this information and then like we can't get the funds to where they need to go. And then if your community is is dealing with crumbling schools, crumbling infrastructure, how can we fight for those funds if we don't know that the people are there? Right. And it's 10 years. So say you had a baby. you're screwed for a long time. If you had a baby and you didn't count them and children zero to five are historically undercounted. Well, then like by the time they get to first grade, is there a seat in that classroom or is it overcrowded because they didn't know? Right. Wow. And also we know that like children 
women's psyches are so often formulated from the time they're like zero to seven. So it's like when we're, that's like really big decisions. So it's really, really important. So the census is really something that's like very overlooked. I think that something that is interesting is that um, things that we take for granted in the, in this country and how things work. But it seems to me that um, a lot of Republicans and a lot of more rural and lower population have made a concerted effort to keep this information under wraps because they don't want the information and the power to be spread. And it's actually easier to control people through fear than it is um, to be upfront with them about like what decisions, you know, about how things work. Right. So what happens after someone, I'm sorry, I just, you know, I really, I hate, you know, racism. These people fucking suck, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like people yeah. are these like power hungry nightmare people, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's what I got. <laughs> Anyway, so we're minding our own business. We fill out the census form. Yes. There's no citizenship question on there. Mm-hmm. And then we send it off. And what happens to it once we send it? Well, um, actually, you know, there's a couple ways. One of the big things that's different from t- 2010 is it's online for the first time ever, which is great. Only? For, well, there's you can answer online. You can call on the phone or you can eventually get a form. But the majority, they really want people to respond online. And it's great if you're my 16-year-old daughter that can do that. But my 84-year-old mother... That was thinking, like, so, yeah. Mm. And she's like, you know, can't really hear that well anyway. So she would want to answer in Tagalog. That's yes. Because I'm Filipino. Luckily, though, they have it online on Tagalog. So, But my daughter will have to go over there and pull up the iPad yes. and, like, help her fill it out. So we're really worried, um, particularly for folks that aren't, you know, that great online or for folks... Because California has a lot of rural areas that don't have broadband or frankly, sometimes broadband subscriptions are so darn expensive, right? So how do we how do we help those folks? So that's part of what our campaign is doing is to educate people why it's so important and how do you fill it out? In right? all 50 states, it's going to be online this year. Yes. Wow. Yes. But you can call on the phone too, which is good. they got 800 numbers and they'll have it in 12 languages, which is Stand good. by. Stand by. I'm so sorry. We're going to take a really quick break. We're going to be right back with more with Ditas from uh, California's Complete Count right after the break. Recently, I've been having some stomach problems. Everyone that I talked to recommended that I take a bunch of different supplements and vitamins, but it's kind of complicated to keep track of that many different pills and powders every day. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted a single solution that supports my gut health while also supporting my immune and brain health. AG1 covers my bases with high-quality ingredients like pre- and probiotics, adaptogens, antioxidants, and whole food-sourced nutrients. AG1 also replaces my multivitamin, my pre-slash-probiotic, and my supplements to support energy and focus. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com curious. That's drinkag1.com curious. Check it out. My husband loves him some ritual. His little tum-tum can get off. His little microbiome, it says, help me. Enter Ritual. They created a three-in-one supplement, including clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gash, and diarrhea. I really like Ritual because they prioritize sustainably sourced and traceable ingredients. I love to take my Symbiotic Plus every morning along with my hot tea or coffee because I feel like it helps me start the day off right. 
I also love that Ritual has industry-leading sustainability standards. Ritual uses scientific tools to select lower carbon packaging, prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 20% off. Ditas, who gave you permission to be such a good interview subject? That's I want to know. Well, I've been doing this for a while. Oh, so you gave yourself permission. I love that. Yes. Empowered person just nailing it. Okay, well, so what we were, tell yes. me. So I was going to tell you that um, I am the national expert in this area, mainly because everybody else has died. Wow. You got to outlive them, you know? Yeah. That was like, <laughs> well, I didn't see that was a, in my stand-up comedy bits, I call that a hard right. Okay. Where like, where like, I don't expect someone to say something like, oh, yes, I love that. But okay, so let's take it back to right previous to the break, before we heard those two ads that you just heard in your ear, which you didn't hear, Titus, because we didn't, well, because you, I don't even know what they were yet. We'll see what it was going to be. I'm sure I've approved them, you guys, but anyway, actually I have, I already know I have, I just don't know what they're going to be for this week's episode. Focus. So right before the break, we were talking about... Something. Oh, the languages and how to fill. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes. So it can be phone, but it's mostly online, all 50 states. And so that's the thing that's really different this year is that it's going to be very much online. And so that's what uh, our Complete Count is doing is really making sure that everyone knows how to do that. Right. We're trying to make sure we're trying to remove any barriers, whether it be fear, whether they don't have access to it. A big problem out there is language access. The U.S. Census Bureau is going to have it in 12 languages. But here in, gosh, in L.A. County, in the schools, they speak over 192. Right. And so people are hard to count because maybe they're limited English proficient. Uh, And that's where I find that the youth are going to make a huge difference, um, even more so than in 2010. One, the youth, are they're kind of mad because they weren't really happy about not being able to vote in 2016. Right. So my 16 year old's like, I still can't vote. And are you guys going to mess it up in 2020 also? So they're really, we want to get them to rally around. You can't vote, but you can count and you can get everybody to count. So youth. We like, need to get them super engaged. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. So what about people that do, like, do, what are the requirements for filling out, like, the census? Like, what if you are someone who's, like, a temporary worker or you're someone who's, like, what is that rule? So uh, to the Constitution, everyone that resides in the country on April 1st, it's like a little snapshot, should be counted, right? And and they'll, there'll be a form or a postcard. So you'll get a postcard and you'll go online. I worry about folks that there's a lot of folks because of our housing issues here in, in California um, that may be experiencing, I'll say, experiencing homelessness, maybe not even on the street, but maybe they're couch surfing. Maybe they're staying, you know, yeah, friends are like, hey, can I stay on your couch for a while? Where are they going to be counted? Will they fall through the cracks? You know, what about, and then what about people who are definitely out on the streets? How do we count them? Especially, that just makes me think of like, yeah, so people on the streets, wow, yes, let's, I feel like I didn't mean to interrupt you because my brain went somewhere else, but I want to talk about that because really people that are, what my brain, which is like people like, oh, I can't even read the news. I just, you know, I don't like to read it. I just go to work. Like people that kind of have their head in the sand. And it's so important that people that don't have their head in the sand is really talking about the census because if you guys remember the episode that we did on Getting Curious about, um, with Sister District about uh, the episode 
I think it was last year, but it was about midterms. And 2010 was actually the largest loss of like democratically held seats in like midterm election history. We lost over a thousand elected seats in that year. It was a whole generation of like democratically elected or Democrat leaders that were kind of like swept out in that election. And a lot of the things that happened with that was that the Republicans that were elected in that Tea Party wave of 2010 determined the census rules and did so much to censor and manipulate that census of the redistricting that year. And that's why like Virginia and South Carolina and a lot of these things happened. So it really is so important that we are all engaged in talking about like what the census does and like, and and how it does it and why it does it. So language reach out language barriers is an issue, obviously in California and probably across the country. Um, so, but if you go online and you submit it that way, like what happens with the information? Where does it go? Like whether you're calling in, onlining it in, and is is you mailing it a, in? You can get a form too. And yes. so all three of those are still an option. Uh-huh. Is there anything on the radar about like by 2030 they want to have like mail in and call in like phased out or anything? Or, uh, or is that even being talked about? This came about because after 2010, Congress said basically too expensive. You need to save some money. So the Census Bureau did their due diligence. They said, how can we cut back and putting stuff online? Um, there will be forms available. About 20% of folks throughout the nation will actually get a form if we know that you know maybe they're older and they don't have that. You can call and get a form too. But if you're going to call, we kind of say if you're on the phone anyway, why don't you just, do it here? just be enumerated? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then so enumerated means you, counted? Means, means counted, yes. Okay. After that, so you, you'll you get something in the mail mid-March next year. So after the California primary, so after everybody's that's done, around March 12th, Californians will get like a postcard in the mail. Some will get a form if they think that you know they're probably not going to uh, be able to call. And then every eight or 10 days, if you don't go online, they're going to keep sending you stuff. And by the fourth time, which is mid uh, April, you'll get a form. And then come May 1st, if you still haven't answered, that's when they're going to come knock on your door. So that costs a lot of money. But so we here at California, we really want to make sure that people self-respond because the data is a lot more accurate when you're doing it yourself. So we're trying to, in California, eliminate all those barriers that can exist, you know, be it language, be it the overcrowded. And we also want to get the message out to folks, hmm, if you don't think you're accounted, call, right? Make sure, because say maybe you live in the back, you know, in the granny unit in the back. Right. Right. Maybe it's legal. Maybe it's, you know, and we don't we don't care if it's legal or not, but we just want everyone to be counted. So we need to get that message out there. So how do you know, like from the census perspective, like if people have been double counted, like like for the conspiracy, like Trumpy theorists, like how do you know people haven't been double counted or like that it's accurate and like trustworthy and all that? Well, so all the data goes back to the U.S. Census Bureau and those super smart people with statistics. They do matching and they look at the address and they eliminate any duplicates. Um, and they would just do overcount. that. Would they do that by just running names? So addresses, your name and your address. So if they see where your address is and then they go back and they look at it. It's but then what if you are home? Homeless. Like, what so, if you don't have an address? So with the homeless, there's a whole different count for them. It's called service-based enumeration. So they go through service providers. And you know that uh, housing and um, urban development, they work with local folks. Like HUD? Like they work with them um, because they already do the, the count, the point-in-time count, the pick count that they do every other January. So they're going to work with those service providers because they know where people are hanging out, you know, under which overpasses. Um, and then there's three days right before April 1st where we'll go out in mass. The, the enumerator is I'm going to volunteer for it too to help enumerate folks that are out there like under the 
overpasses or on the riverbeds, and they get kind of a headcount that way too. And is that something that we that is done across the country, not just California? I mean, are there some states that are worse or better about you know reaching out to their communities that are homeless or their communities that may be more distrusting or unable to, or like maybe they're not English proficient? So for the homeless, that's done throughout the country, and the U.S. Census Bureau kind of drives out, uh, but they work with the local folks. But I will tell you, in terms of just outreach in general, um, the reason why we've invested the dollars is because of what we found. I'll tell you this little story about my Native American tribes in Northern California. I don't know if you have you been up by the Oregon border. No, it's beautiful. Big, you know, pine trees, rivers, just gorgeous, right? You can picture that, right? Yeah. So there's a tribe up there, the Hoopa tribe, and the Census Bureau sent them an ad to put in their tribute. And it was a picture of like Sturgis, South Dakota, like wheat fields with teepees on it. That does not resonate at all with our Hoopa tribe, right? And so they sent it back saying, mm, not quite us. That's like South Dakota. So then they sent back a, a, a picture of a proud Native American man with a skyscraper, which is perfect for L.A. urban living Indians, not the Hoopa tribe. So finally, they just said, we're going to create our own. And they took a picture overlooking the beautiful valley with the trees and a man in, in, in their Native costume. And the headline was this, if they don't know you're here they will take our water. Now that resonated with the locals to say, hey, I really do need to be counted because Native American tribes have a historically, you know, tenuous relationship with the U.S. federal government. Of course. So that's why we just say locally created content is so important. And we want to engage even local creators here in Los Angeles and throughout the state to create content that explains to folks why it's so important and what resonates. Because you know, Madison Avenue advertisers maybe not get it right here in California. So how do we calm people's fears of reporting for the census? Like if they if they have my name and my address and then they and then this government, you know, what if they do use that as a roadmap to track me down or track my family down? Like what if I'm undocumented? What mm-hmm. if I this? What if I that? Like how do you is there protections in place to protect our our information that is given to the Census Bureau? There is. It's called Title 13, so you'll hear that a lot and we're going to do a lot of education about that. It's it protects the confidentiality of your confidentiality of your data. It guarantees that uh, census workers cannot share your data with anyone. There's a, like a fines. They can go to jail, $250,000 if they share your, your personal data. It also directs the uh, U.S. F- uh, census. They cannot share your personal data with any other federal you know, division. Who runs the Census Bureau? Like, what does that fall under? It falls under the U.S. Department of Commerce. So, so that's why Wilbur Ross is going through what he's going through right now because the director of <clears throat> the Commerce. He's the Secretary of Commerce, yes. So the Commerce Bureau? The Commerce Department. Commerce and then Depart- it's the U.S. Census Bureau, so it's underneath it. Mm-hmm. So Wilbur Ross, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it. It's all becoming clear. And what basically what just happened with the so basically the Trump administration wanted to add an 11th question to the census. Is that what it was? Because there's Mm -hmm. 10 historically and they wanted to add an 11th, Mm -hmm. which has never been done. Like how long has the census had 10 questions? I'd have to ask uh, my Census Bureau experts. It's been a long time, I think, probably since the 70s. Um, and there is a and there is a way that I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez outlined in that meeting of a, of a, of a specific way that—it's a specific 
protocol that you're supposed to go through if you wanted to add a right. question to the to the bureau right. or to the years. census. They do years of research, and the Census Bureau. Uh, I've been I was a national chair of the National Advisory Committee on Race, Ethnicities, and Other Populations to the bureau, so it was volunteer work over the past couple of years, and I really got an inside look at what they're doing. They, their research have researched for years before you put a question on years, like between eight and eleven years. And they really try out the questions to see if they work. What does it make sense? Um, they had this national content test where they were trying to look at how do we ask the race, ethnicity, Hispanic question like that. The way it was asked before doesn't really work. They researched for the years and then they put a recommendation through on the advisory committee. We were able to weigh in. The scientific committee weighs in. Everybody kind of weighs in uh, over like a decade before they change anything. And so adding one last minute was Probably, you know, not a great process to do. And that's why a lot of people were like, well, wait a minute. You know, people put the stops on it unless you saw some of those lawsuits. Yeah. And so so basically investigators from any other piece of the federal uh, government cannot go to the census to try to get your address, your name, your whatever. Absolutely not. And if they did or you were able to prove that they did, like whatever it was, like wouldn't really be like admissible. Because right. it's like illegal. It's illegal. It's a, it would it would be against Title Thirteen. Okay. Oh, so you got people, everyone. I love you so much. We're gonna take one more really quick break. Go get you a cup of water. Make sure you're not distracted driving. Um, you know, really get present. Take a deep breath. We're gonna be right back with more Didis Katagi from California's Complete Count right after this. Don't you just love when someone looks at you and says, "What were you up to last night?" Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and whiter for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes. You know you can trust them, though, because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying something's different about you in the best way possible. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. Hey guys, it's Cheyenne Davis. You may know me from MTV's Teen Mom OG or Think Loud Crew podcast. I'm here with my dad, Papa Floyd, to tell you about our new podcast, Unfiltered Kitchen. The kitchen is the hub of the household for many of us. The one-stop shop for conversations both big and small. Cheyenne and I have been having open conversations about all aspects of life in our kitchen since well before she was able to see over the counter. And now we're inviting you into our own kitchen as a part of the family. Unfiltered Kitchen is a two-way street. I share my advice on cocktails, cooking, parenting, and the lessons I've learned. And I inform my dad what it's like to raise kids today, how generational barriers affect us, and the joys of being a daughter. Well, your daughter. Get ready for a whole lot of unfiltered advice. You can take it or leave it, but you're never going to leave this table feeling hungry for more. Listen to Unfiltered Kitchen wherever you get your podcasts. 
These days you can't go anywhere on the internet without running into the most horrible takes. You know, your good old-fashioned homophobes, or your self-proclaimed alpha males, who are writing two-page articles titled, How to Score the Perfect Female in 10 Days. If you are just as sick of these outdated takes as we are, you will love our podcast, Outspoken, hosted by me, Sam Collins, and my incredible partner, Shannon. We are an LGBT couple who have seen it all, been called it all, and are ready to take on the never-ending world of outrageous online opinions. Each week, we bring you the most ridiculous videos, hot takes, and hellbent news we come across on the internet. So, come laugh with us as we dismantle outdated ideologies and tear apart the most confident idiots on the internet. On our podcast, Outspoken. You can follow and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you are listening right now. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. So we were just saying that, what were we just saying? We were saying that like other people from within the federal government can't use the information that the census has garnered. So we really don't need to be skeptical or afraid or distrusting of, of giving our information to the census department, even though it is kind of scary giving it to a department that's run by Wilbur Ross. So that is a little bit uh, scary. What What is the sense, or what is the job that, the California's Complete Count does to educate youth around the importance of sharing their census information. Yes, we um, saw that in the past, uh, census did census in schools, but it was done at the federal government and didn't quite make it down to the local level. So two years ago, we said, hey, let's invest in our curriculum. And we engaged with Sacramento's local curriculum uh, teachers, took some teachers out of the classroom. We said, let's focus on fifth 8th, 11th, and 12th grade, right? Because the 12th grade, they're going to be voters. They study American government, U.S. history. We took their curriculum. We took some of the stuff that was already out there. And my goal was to say, make it easy because teachers have so much on their plate already. I want like in 10 minutes or less, this teacher can pull a module out and say, ooh, I can tie this into what I'm already doing, whether it's like Western expansion or the three-fifths of a man compromise, right? And they can tie it in so that our 5th, 8th, 11th, 12th graders become those sort of census ambassadors, that it becomes more than just a glossary word. My daughter was in eighth grade. She said, mom, we talked about the census today. And I go, what was it? It was a glossary word. I said, what did you say? She stood up and she said, no, everybody needs to know it's super important. The teacher didn't quite know what to say. And she says, and it's important because, you know, our representation, our schools, you know, our gymnasium, all that stuff depends on it. So she knew. Um, but we have to be able to get our young students to know how important it is, how it feeds in to just civic engagement, how it feeds into voting, and how it, it will impact their future for the next 10 years. So if a parent or so if a, if a teenager or like a kid who is 10, like parent didn't report them online, the kid could report themselves? Well, I would hope that the kid would be, well, usually most of, um, a lot of our youth end up filling out forms for their parents, particularly in some of our communities where English might not be the language spoken at home. But what if your head of household isn't filling it out? Like uh, our children or like are people under 18 allowed to file a census form? They are. Yeah. They absolutely are. Yeah. So that's great because they can't vote, but they can certainly make sure their household is completely counted. So that's another really important thing to hit is that like this is a place where we actually can empower our youth to you know, affect their future in a way that is so important and under and really underestimated a lot. Right. So then when it comes to LGBTQ outreach and the census, I feel like, especially when it comes to our trans family members, uh, trans people are subject to much, actually LGBTQ people, period, are, are more subject to homelessness. Um, trans people are more subject to violence, displacement, um, 
inability to get jobs, funding, research, education, all sorts of things. So what is um, California's Complete Count doing to reach out to the LGBTQ plus community? Well, so we're partnering with Equality California. It's one of our um, key contractors that their vendors really a partner on the ground. And they're making sure that they're using their intense network that's out there, whether they go to, you know, pride parades, uh, where they're at the, the gender health centers to really educate why. I mean, and those facts are absolutely right. If you look at SNAP and other um, social services, the percentages of LGBTQ that are using those um, are proportionally a lot higher. And so we want uh, the trusted messengers from Equality California to be able to talk one-on-one to say, you really need to be counted because the services like this clinic get a lot of dollars or, you know, the the food uh, services that you're getting. So we're making sure that it's not me doing the outreach, but it's really those trusted messengers that are on the ground that can actually communicate culturally, appropriately, and within a trusted venue to say, it's okay to fill it out, you're safe. So back to the questions that are actually on the census. So there is there, there's not a question about like sexual orientation. Not yet. So not this time. But say. you would, there would, it would be obvious if you lived with your partner or your husband and it was like, you know, you're saying like spouse and it's, so there would be an inability for the government to get a sense of same-sex couples in a census yes, count. absolutely. And I had looked at the, the message, and it really has to do with whoever the head of household is. And then when you put that person to, you put the relationship. So are you, you know, same-sex, you know, married, same-sex, you know, unmarried partner with them, roommate, you know, child. Oh, 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 so it goes, so you're really, you have that head of household person that fills it out. And then when they fill out that second uh, or third person, you talk about what the relationship between, with them, between them. And so you are able to put same-sex married or same-sex, you know, unmarried, you know, partner. And then what are the other questions? Um, on the form? <clears throat> yeah, because we, we, right. we didn't get all the way through. Yes. So I would say there's the race question. So there's like different variations of uh, Hispanic race. Um, how many people are in the household? Um, you have your address. Gender. Oh, yes. Gender. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is non-binary or trans it, an option? It's not on there yet. Okay. But I know that because I'm working with a task force, making Mari over there, um, they're continuing to talk about that. So they're starting to do that research to ask for that. So maybe 2030. It takes a really long yes, time. To, yes. And to that's do. really good that we're vetting, you know, the questions in, in whatever area that they're coming from. Yes. With the census question in Wilbur Ross's nightmare ass. So that whole thing it kind of just went up through the Supreme Court. And basically for the for this this time around, the working consensus is, is that it will not be added. No way, no how. Yes, I sh- sure hope for twenty twenty. Yeah, but Trump has said that he does want to think about it for future censuses, and he also has said that he's going to gather that data from other federal departments because he wants to know citizen count. But he wouldn't be able to use that data from other federal governments against what the. Uh, Census Bureau has from the census constitutionally. I like if he, like so, yeah. yeah because you can't use like the the census bureau information is protected so if he was right, able to get that he it. wouldn't be able to like cross no and find out names or any of that no right so but I think that that is the concern because he is so you you know going about you know using the constitution in all sorts of unconstitutional ways whether it's like reappropriating funds for the border wall or you know violating the emoluments clause or using his family to enrich themselves and all you know in all sorts of ways I think that's just like really scary like you know for us to be able to trust him. But I do think that the risk of not participating, the, uh, the risk of not participating in the, in the census is scarier than doing it. Like it's, it's really important. Yes. And I mean, if you think about just the dollars, there are estimates between a thousand and 2000, depending on the state per person per year. 
So let's say I leave my daughter off. That's going to be like $10,000 that doesn't come back to the community besides the fact they won't know if there's supposed to be a high school there or not. And when you think about how much we pay in taxes. Right. And it doesn't come back. And we want mm-hmm. that money back. Yes. I mean, California, we donate to everybody else, right? Oh, that's what I was going to talk about. Yes. So, wait. So, schools. It, mm-hmm. it determines school funding. Yes. Hospital funding. funding. Hospital funding. Transportation funding. Healthcare. Um, nutrition. And healthcare. Let's really think about healthcare. Because when you think about things like um, HIV, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia, like all those like STIs that are just exploding all over the place. If the government doesn't know like the number of people there, like how can they like staff the hospitals and like and the clinics, and the yes. county clinics and stuff mm-hmm. to be able to treat the things that are going on there. Right. And like there is an epidemic of like so many different things happening really, really right now. So it really is so important that we can allocate the necessary funds where we need to. So it sounds like California Complete Count is doing really, really good work. Is there, have you heard anything about other states doing similar programs or taking any of this information and trying to emulate it across the board? Well, I've gotten a couple calls. Uh, Illinois called us and said, hey, how did you figure out where to put your money? And all the money that we're looking at, it's all based upon census data, obviously, and knowing where people are that in areas that are hard to enumerate, hard to count, and dividing those dollars up. So like, I'm not going to do outreach in some fancy area that, you know, doesn't have people that are afraid. You don't, those would be like high propensity voters. I don't want to spend my money on that. We're really focusing on the hardest of hardest to count, the people who are invisible, the people who are disenfranchised, the people who are super afraid. So Illinois is like, how did you do that? And we said, look at the data. I just saw that New York City um, gave $1.4 million to their libraries to say, hey, they're going to be places where people can fill out the forms. So part of our outreach on the ground is to allow people like in the Boys and Girls Club, they can walk in there and use their computers or in like the Asian Health Center. There'll be somebody there that will speak their language, right? So they can go and they could translate for them, help them fill out the form. We want to remove any barriers that are out there to getting people, you know, to fill out the form. We don't want the count suppressed because there are people who will want it, like people in California not counted. Um, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to clear out, knock down all those barriers. Where do people want the count? suppressed? Like, who would want to suppress the the census? Well, if you think about what's at stake, power and money, California could stay even with their 53 congressional seats, or they could lose one, or if they have a really poor turnout or count, could lose up to two congressional seats, right? To two House of, of Reps. Where would those go? They could go to Texas. They could go to North Carolina. And I always say, I don't even want to lose a football game to North Carolina, Yes, let alone two congressional seats. Because if you think about two seats, think about, and I know you watch the votes that go on on the House floor, uh, the American, uh, the Affordable Care, um, Act. Care Act. They keep challenging that. Sometimes it only stays because of one or two votes, right? It right. only is saved. So imagine if those two California seats who would probably be voting to save it are gone and they're going to Texas or some other state. We could, national policy could change based upon, you know, California losing representation in in Washington. Which is a really big deal. Yeah, scary too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't like that story at all. Mm-mm. So what, are, what do you think are the biggest... Uh, Having done this research for this for this many years, how can we get this word out to the places that need to be counted the most? Like the most, which to me in my mind is the places where like racism is the most rampant, 
which is giving me my Mitch McConnell's. It's giving me my my Kentucky's, my Arkansas, my Alabama, my my Tennessee, my all of the. How can we get the word out there to, to get education to those people? So on the national level, there's groups like Ford Foundation, the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights. They're doing a lot of that work because they say, oh, California, you guys have got it going on, but let's take what you're doing. And they're trying to do on the ground work with their groups, you know, NAACPs doing stuff on the ground to make sure that those messages are coming from organizations that these folks trust, right? They're not going to trust the like the parish or the county government coming out or even the, the state government coming out and telling them to be counted. And they're definitely not going to trust when the, the U.S. You know, Census Bureau says, yeah, come out and be counted. They're going to, you know, they're going to wonder, mm, I don't know about you guys. So locally trusted folks are really going to help. And so that's really, really important. It's like people that we trust, people that we look to, like within our community. Yeah, it's like the. Uh, I think the most important thing to stress there is that there's like really good laws in place, like that Title 13, to prevent like anyone from being able to use the Census Bureau's information. Yes. Confidentially is the key message, and the key messengers uh, we can do with our faith-based partners, right? Whoever your house of worship is, whether it's a temple or a mosque or a church or or what have you, having them tie that in. So we're doing a lot of sort of prayer breakfasts. We're giving sort of talking points to those um, to those um, heads of the you know houses of worship because people go there. Also, healthcare providers, that doesn't work in all of our sort of vulnerable populations, but many populations go to their nurses or their nurse practitioners or their doctors to listen, to be like, oh, I have to fill this out. Why? And of course, teachers. Teachers are so key. They're really that front line to our students. And then again, the youth go back home and they say, hey, mom, do you know if I don't fill this out? You know, my I'm going to have 50 people, students in my classroom, right? They need to know that what the we're consequences here. are. Yeah, that's another thing that I was just thinking about. It's like there's there's no real straightforward penalty for not filling out your census form, except for the benefits that your community doesn't get, and those take years to feel like to feel right. the effects of that. Yeah, because it's not like you have to send in like a ten dollar fee if you are a three dollar. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. so it really the the what is it? I just is because we're approaching like our last three minutes, so it's like what. What are the long-term implications of, like, not participating in the census? What do you stand to lose? Well, first of all, if you don't stand up, you're invisible, right? To exist, we got to resist, right? And your community is depending on you to stand up, be counted, so that those dollars come back. I mean, it is a community-building thing. Is there a question in the census about, like— criminal past is there like anything no, no. absolutely not no they yeah didn't ask that no. yeah so there's really like nothing to be afraid of right right other than just like not knowing it's like why is the government sending me this form like why do they want to count me it's feeling scare scare well it's because like we need to figure out like how to allocate the funds and the yes votes. and it is the foundation of our democracy and why, that's why that's so, why i come back every time go into help. that for these last two minutes why so, is the census the foundation for our democracy because it's a representation it's and a we're a representative democracy exactly so break that down a little bit more. Like pretend like someone has no idea what the census is and they've mm-hmm. been like making out this whole time, like on a date on this whole podcast, or maybe they've been sleeping and they're just waking <laughs> up to like these last two minutes and 30 right. seconds. So you have to be counted because our government, our community, the whole fabric, social fabric of our society here in the United States is based upon representative democracy. It's about power and it's about money. And if you want your communities to thrive, if you want that pothole filled, if you want schools, if you want hospitals, if you want an emergency room to be 10 minutes closer for your loved one to get to, you got to fill out the form. You got to stand up and be counted and make sure that everyone in your household is counted. Wow. 
That's really good. I love that story. Is there anything that we missed that we need to drive home? I just think that it's uh, people should be involved locally. Get involved with your local complete count. Why do you think that people, that censuses just fell off the radar in general? Like, why do people not understand why it's so important? It only happens every 10 years. Yeah, my daughter was six last time around, right? Now she's more aware. But they they lose that connection. And I think people have become more civically unaware over the past decade. And so we're using this. I want to build, my vision is to have a social movement infrastructure here in California based off these census dollars that can be used for any issue that comes up in the future. Wow. Didis Katagi, thank you so much for your work. And thank you so much for the work of complete or California's Complete Count. I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benes. My guest this week was Didis Katagi. You'll find links to Didis, the Census and CA Complete Count socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much, Queen, for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend. Uh, it's on Spotify, honey. It's everywhere. Get that, get that Stitcher app. Get on that Spotify. Get on that Apple, honey. We love all of them. Show them how to subscribe. Show them how to do all of it, you know? Getting Curious is produced by Emily Bosick, Julie Creo, Ray Ellis, Harry Nelson, and Colin Anderson. Booking consulting by Mary O'Hara. Hey, hey.